All right, looks like we're live. Uh, welcome everybody to episode three of the Catamount, of our Catamount Trail Chatter series. Uh, tonight, we're gonna be sitting down with Milan Kubala of Stowe, Vermont. Uh, Milan is an advocate uh, for the sport of schemo. And um, we first connected with Milan back in 2016 when you started participating, you came out to our uh, weekly schemo series, which at the time, it's not really schemo, it's more of like a, a beer league uphill series. Um, but during that series, you, you earned a, a unique nickname and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, um, why don't we jump in? Um, welcome Milan. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's, um, it's been, a it's been a quite a ride, uh, learning about schema and becoming a schema fanatic. And I, I love to share some of my knowledge and some of my passion. Um, and uh, some of the stories that go back, way back when we first met uh, at the races that you're referring to. And thank the Catamount Trail Association and thank my host here, um, uh, Martin Road Outfitters, to, to hosting us in this beautiful studio here. So let's get going. All right. So how did you, did you grow up in Vermont? And if not, how did you get, like, how did you get to Vermont? What brought you to Vermont? So um, you'll probably notice that uh, as I speak tonight, and, and let me know if I wear up to a different language when I start talking Czech or German or, or something like that. Um, I am actually originally from the Czech Republic. Uh, I've come to the United States uh, in the early 90s. And uh, tennis was really what brought me over. I was one of the first athletes um, that uh, from the Eastern Europe block coming over on a scholarship. So I went over to Michigan and played uh, tennis in the area for university, got my degree and I uh, got into a tennis business. And um, met my wife through a couple of friends. Um, there's a funny story there too, um, that maybe we'll get to a little later. Um, and then she told me that she does not want to stay in the Midwest, that she wants to go somewhere more exciting. So we started traveling a little bit and she had a friend in Boston. We came through Stowe and we both just fell in love with the area. I uh, went for a hike. I, at that point, I didn't know what hiking was. The word hike to me was like going for a walk, but hiking, you know, Midwest, there's not a whole lot of big hills. You got to be hiking. It was actually a strenuous exercise. So we came here and just fell in love with it and tried to figure out how to make it work here. And four years later, we were here and we've been here since 2004, really 16, 17 years. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so what are you, so you're currently living in Stowe and what are you, what are you doing for gainful employment right now out of Stowe? <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, well, uh, one thing that, um, you know, my life changed about, um, eight years ago, 10 years ago, uh, when we had our kids, um, I was, I was playing around a lot, um, in the snow, um, every morning skinning up the mountain. And then things changed a little bit 10 years ago when we had our first child. Um, so right now I am uh, actually a stay-at-home dad. Um, and I am helping uh, a couple of different outlets in the area to uh, do some ski guiding and starting a ski mall uphill uh, program at Bolton with the collaboration of Bolton Valley Resort as well as um, uh, Sunrise Mountain Guides. Uh, pretty exciting time um, given the boom of uphill skiing and the opportunities we have. I just, in the last five or six years, the, the community and the people I've met, uh, it's really driving me to, to pursue that passion um, that I have for the endurance sports and I'm being outside and, and, and skiing as well. Yeah, great. That sounds awesome. And so, yeah, so you have a unique relationship with the Catamount Trail itself, right? It's, 
I like in in your previous job, I, I I heard that you used to use it to commute. And yeah, you know, um, I always was fascinated by this mythical trail called called Karamount, and I didn't even know how to pronounce it back then. This is again going back sixteen years. And uh, the area that I discovered the trail was in a Nebraska notch in the Nebraska Valley, right by the truck club, the section between Traps and, and Bolton. And later on, I learned it's one of the most beautiful spots of Anakaraman. And I might be biased because that's where I kind of had learned to backcountry ski and, and first started going up. Um, that was my first encounter with, with the Karaman Trail. I remember going up to Bolton uh, one year and it, it was a fascinating trip. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of Montreal kind of weaves around different places in Stowe. And at one point I ended up living, uh, over, uh, on the other side, um, in the Beaver Meadow, Sterling Valley area. And I found that there is kind of on through there too. Um, so one day I decided that I'll follow it and see where it takes me. And lo and behold, um, I ended up, uh, on top of Robinson Springs and that was just directly downhill, uh, to my job. Um, that I was working at at that time. So it was a great commute. Once I figured that it was, didn't matter if it was a winter, it was a summer, I'd, I'd run or I would ski. The only bad part was that I was living at about 1600 feet and I had to go to about 2000 feet, go through a little <laughs> keyhole to drop down to 700 feet uh, down by the river. So it was okay on the way to work, but on the way from work, um, it was a little bit more work. <laughs> but <laughs> it was the end of the day and I loved it. And I always, you know, I always, when I lived in the village, I commuted using the rec path and I always try to take advantage of, of the recreational opportunities we have uh, here in the area and there's plenty of them. Um, so I started running to work using the rec path and when, when we moved from, from the village to a, a different location, I, I just was racking my brain to figure out how I'm gonna do that. Um, and then I was lucky enough to, to live there. So my latest, you know, <laughs> so my latest endeavor, and this has just happened in just in the last month or so, you know, I'm going back to Nebraska, um, helping out at Bolton, Bolton Valley. Um, I think that's a pretty short trip going that. <laughs> now that I know Schemo and I yeah. know the advantage of the Schemo, back then I did it in a, in a leather boot and, and a three-pin binding, but I bet you um, it would be a pretty, that would be a pretty awesome commute and it would probably not take, I mean, it wouldn't, it would take longer than a car, obviously, but uh, would be a bad trip going up there, especially coming back. It would be the opposite, right? If I'd be coming from work, as long as, as, as soon as you climb up to that highest point, then it's just downhill all the way to Nebraska. Yeah. So that's my, that's my, that's my <laughs> latest uh, adventure on how I can commute to work. So the next, uh, for, your next, the next challenge is a section 22 commute. Yep. No. Section 22. I'll, yeah. That will be the brand name section 22 commute. That's awesome. Going to Nebraska to, to both. <laughs> Well, and I love how you you keep continued to keep incorporating the CT into the Catamount Trail into your commute. Um, how like your first that first time when you were coming from Beaver Meadows, the Sterling Valley area? How how far were you commuting every day? Or like so what does that, what is that trip distance to and from work? Oh, it would. The, the, you know, I was I was kind of skipping the area of Wiesner Woods. I was I would dump on Edson Hill Road and then I would just follow Edson Hill Road. So it was about four and a half miles one way. Yeah, so that's not too bad. No, no, it wasn't at all. I mean, it was even, it was actually even less than when I was running a rec path because that was about five and a half. Now the commute now to Bolton Valley from Nebraska, it'll be a little bit of different endeavor. I'm not sure if I can do that every day. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't, I don't necessarily work every day. 
guiding there um, or, or teaching uphill. But that would be a that would be a pretty cool uh, thing to uh, uh, to write about. There was an article at one point uh, about the uh, the man that runs to work. Um, that was like 2007. And when I think of it now, how much movement there is in the early morning exercise, just seeing what's happening at the mountain, it's pretty, it's pretty inspiring to see that people are getting into that. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you've been skiing for a while. Did you, were you introduced to skiing at a young age or when did you, when was your, how did you get into skiing just generally? So my dad was a avid skier and he was a self-taught. Um, my mom loved skiing and they met through skiing. Um, so as a kid, I was, I was sliding off of a, a ditch. That was my first ski hill. It was a little ditch. And I was about two years old. I, I, I still remember like I'd be standing out of my body watching myself slide that little ditch. So I was doing, I was doing skiing before I was doing anything else. And then our family vacation, whether it was with family uh, or my grandparents, we'd be going out to black forest. And um, it was a little area in the black forest where there was this little hill. And I remember to this day, I had a discussion with my mom the other day. I remember all these things now that I get older, they're all coming back. My dad riding a, uh, one of those where you hook the thing on the, on the, on the rope toe. Actually, it's a metal hook. And then you have a hockey stick with a rope in it. And he put it between his legs and I'd be between his legs going up. And so that was my first encounter in skiing. And I was, he was really young at that age. And that's, that's really where I started skiing. And, and, um, then I, um, took on uh, hockey and, and tennis and one of those three, you know, one of them had to be kind of the main. So I decided to play tennis um, and I was glad what tennis brought me, but I always thought when I'm done with tennis, I really want to get into the, the sports that i missed and that I had a passion for. And I did as a child and that's what brought me back to skiing. And really that's what got me to, uh, to come to Stowe because um, this is the ski mecca, whether it's on the hill or off the hill or cross country. And um, yeah. For sure. So as then backcountry skiing, like when, at what point in time did you make it, was your first backcountry ski experience? Was that also at a really young age or was that kind of later in life? No, no, that, that was, that goes back to that, that, that little story about the hiking, right? I didn't know what the hiking was till I got to, to Stowe because the had the word hiking just didn't signify a, a, a exercise that was significant. It just felt like I was walking. But then when I really saw hiking, I felt that was, so same thing with, um, with backcountry skiing. I really didn't know what backcountry skiing was. I thought backcountry touring, just going from point A to point B was backcountry skiing. And, and I didn't really understand the difference uh, between that. So when I first started backcountry skiing is I, I strapped a pair of snowshoes on my feet and I carry my skis and boots. And, and, and I was a telemarker um, back then. And I still am at times um, when I'm not doing schema. And I remember those heavy T1s, uh, the bumblebee boots, and, and I, I don't know what ski that was that I had, and really heavy binding on the backpack and snowshoes. And by the time I got to the top, and, you know, I looked like I just took a shower and then I had to change all that stuff. I didn't know there was skins back then. I didn't know. So it was, um, it was in the uh, Pinnacle Meadow area up in Stowe. That was my first introduction to backcountry skiing climbing on snowshoes <laughs> didn't know what skins were and carrying and then i figured okay well i'll just wear the boots and put the snowshoes on still didn't know about skins and when i got my first pair of skins they were too long so i cut them but i cut them too short so then i sewed them together <laughs> but i sewed them the other way i didn't know they went one way they were directional <laughs> but i sewed them the other way and i get to the hill and i put those things on and they didn't work <laughs> because the opposite, I had the toe and the, and the heel um, reversed. 
And I was like, this is not, I'm going back to my snowshoes. So then, then I, you know, kept talking to friends. And so that really was in the area uh, 16 years ago when I first moved here. And then I just fell in love with it. And I was just going up the mountain, didn't matter what the temperature was and what the hours were. I just would climb on the mountain if it was early in the morning or um, discovered Nebraska Valley. Um, where I really started skiing off the Karaman Trout Club, where now we see probably the most traffic of, of, of uh, backcountry touring or skiing um, on any given day. But that was my introduction. Again, this kind of Montreal was part of it. My, my first dips at backcountry skiing. Awesome. So, and back then, for, the, for a long time, it sounds like you were a Talmark skier. Yes. At what, point did you, at what point did you convert or did you pick up Alpine Touring? It was at the point that that uh, it became apparent that if I show up and in other races uh, with my Telemar gear, uh, I may not be as successful. So so up until up so up until the schema up until you got involved in schema, you were a you were purely a Telemark skier. Yeah. And then the sport as you got involved with the sport of schema, you got into Alpine. Converted. Yeah, I converted to AT. I really didn't know you know, um, six, seven years ago, there wasn't a whole lot on the market uh, when it comes to AT and really it was expensive and it was really hard to get. And we weren't really trusting those pins and um, it was, it was not appealing to me. And, and Natalie was just, you know, I, I even got so minimalist that I was using the Bole Mothney or uh, uh, toe piece um, uh, with the, with the three pins actually sticking out and that was it. And then I was using a leather boot. I had a, I had a, a double, leather boot made, made by um, Italian company, it escapes me the name, but uh, then I had the uh, Alpina Alaska on, and that's what I enjoy on the most. Uh, but when it came to uh, get into some competitions with others that had the proper gear, um, there was no going back. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So what, so what is it about backcountry skiing in Vermont that is so special? Uh, have you get you've gotten I feel like through schema you've gotten to ski in a variety of other places um, mm -hmm. do you still think Vermont is kind of offers a special experience uh, absolutely I just just in the last few days I won't say where I went but I mean the <laughs> places I was back in Nebraska uh, too and it's been a while since I've been back there and um, it's magical I mean, one it's safe you really don't need to go uh, with a whole lot of people or um, you're always within a half hour of, of somebody or something. Um, the what fascinates me about skiing in backcountry in Vermont is that that every time in the woods you look at the trees and they're still not that big, and and you think that you know a lot of these hills were log and they were they were open pastures you know 100 years ago, and and you, you get to places where you thought you were, but all of a sudden there's like this old road that's obvious in the winter, in the summer, you wouldn't even know it's there, but in the winter, it, everything just sort of opens up and shows. And, and I think that's what makes it special. And you find these little nooks and crannies where, you know, your turns are not that long, you're not skiing for that long, but you can go a couple of different places and be out there for hours on end and, and, and be comfortable, safe and feel confident like you can do it. Um, you know, I've had many friends that would venture off to the bigger, bigger mountains and they would come back and, and say the same thing. And it was really hard to find somebody to go skiing with us and we had to watch the weather and the owl and danger and all that. We don't have any of that in Vermont, even though I was caught in a little tiny slide one year. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't be saying that. Um, up, on, up on Mansfield, uh, I did something really not smart. But, you know, outside of that, there's really been hardly anything anywhere. Um, 
and just 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 the history i think it's what really uh, draws me into the woods um being out there like just just the other day in nebraska there was a couple of old dragon woods that i don't remember from being there um and i was probably not going to the same area before so you always discover something new something different um and i think that's what draws a lot of people out there too yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I do want to point out that we do, there are some, there are a few places in Vermont that can slide. And like one of the dangers of backcountry skiing in Vermont regularly is that we don't think about those things all the time. And so sometimes we can find ourselves in places that where we're not prepared because we, you know, maybe we weren't expecting to end up in a drainage, one of these drainages. But yeah, I, generally, I would agree with you that it's like, it's great. You can go wherever you want, more or less, and uh, the, the level of safety is so much higher so that um, you, yeah. And, and there's just so many nooks and crannies. Like, that's, the, that's the thing. This place has been skied for so long and like people have lived here for so long. You, you just never know what you're going to find. And uh, that like sense of exploration is, uh, and like you never know what you're going to discover is kind of fun. Um, so you've mentioned schema a few times now, and some people might not know what schema is. Um, do you want to take a minute and tell us a little bit about like sure. what, what is schema um, and how does it relate sure. to kind of back country, the backcountry skiing world? So, so schema, really short for ski mountaineering, um, is a, uh, a competitive version of ski mountaineering and ski, ski mountaineering in itself is, is really skiing backcountry um, but using, I guess the difference between backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering is, is skiing in the backcountry, but using more than just the skis and the skins and, and the proper bindings and the boots. There's more equipment. It's more, it's more evolving. And it's, it's going to places that if you didn't have some of the technical skill or uh, technical equipment, you really couldn't get in those places. So where, where schema or in Europe been called randonnée racing for many, many years, is a competitive, um, controlled uh, version of, of ski mountaineering. So there's a couple of different disciplines that are defined within the sport of ski mountaineering, the competitive side of it. There is um, uh, there's a discipline called the individual where it's a race and you go up and down multiple, multiple times, you may traverse and you may get into some technical sections where you have to use a harness and via ferrata um, possibly crank bonds if you go on off a ridge. Uh, you may be roped in with somebody or you may be skiing down with somebody roped in depending if it's a team competition or individual competition. Um, but it's, it's all done within, within a, a, a controlled environment. So, so when it comes to a race like that, but there's a lot more equipment involved, involved um, there is a, a jury and, and, and a lot of volunteers that make sure that the, the race is safe, which for true ski mountaineering, you know, the individuals that are doing a ski mountaineering will decide where to go and make sure that they're safe. So it's done for them and, and, uh, and it's done in, in, a, in a different uh, speed. Um, then there's other couple of different ones, a um, couple of the other disciplines like, excuse me, like vertical, which is just you go up once and the fastest one to the top. And then there's a couple of other ones, teams. You can do a team race where you, team, uh, you go with your teammate and you kind of have to stay with within a certain distance and you travel from point A to point B with different obstacles in the middle. But really um, what separates the ski moral racing and ski mountaineering is the equipment itself that you're using. It's, it's designed specifically to be used um, 
for efficiency and speed. Um, and I have a couple of examples here, and I don't want to make this into a technical talk, but the number one is the boot. You know, when I when I show people my uh, my race boot, they think of it as as a cross country ski boot because it really, I mean, it's super light. It's about six hundred grams, weighs next to nothing. It's it's lighter than any of the hiking boots I have or trail running shoes. And really, there's a cuff to it, and there is uh, top to it, and there's a bottom to it. So this becomes basically a running shoe um, that has just a little tire here that goes across, and then um, there's a cuff to it that you use to lock in and it's a one lever that locks in the whole boot there's a bunch of straps here there's kind of um and you guys can see some of the some of the rope that goes around that literally snaps you in and now you're in this is all carbon so it's pretty stiff and that's what you're skiing down on so it skis like a regular wood this one is actually particularly stiff because it's all made out of carbon but for the uphill you know the movement that in the upper cuff you get um, you're not dealing with any levers. You're not dealing with anything else on your bindings. This, the boot is super important. Um, the bindings also, and an example of it here, you know, ski, you can't really tell what ski is. I could be showing you any kind of ski, but when you look at the binding, it has a tecto that really doesn't have a whole lot to it. Um, and it's very similar to what we use. It only has one set of springs on one side because it's all about the weight at this point. And then in the heel piece, um, it has just the two pins and, and lever here. So it's a super minimalist. Um, it's designed for speed. It has safety feature. It will release sideways. Um, if I yank down as hard, it kind of moved sideways. You can see how the pins move. Um, it will release up depending how thick these uh, wires are. So they're designed for a certain weight or range of weight. The toe, uh, the toe will release as well. But the problem with these skis is that you don't want to release because they don't have any leashes, no brakes. So if you release, you're done racing. You get uh, you get a DNF, did not finish. And that happens, happens uh, at times. It doesn't happen very often at all. And actually there's a discussion about bringing a brakes to schema racing. But you know, the, the ski is super lightweight, 65 underfoot, 161 centimeters. But it, it's, it's pretty stiff. It skis well for a ski as light as it is. So... If I had to say, you know, what defines schema racing or differentiation, it's it's really the equipment and it's the use and the minimalist approach to the equipment and the boot and the bindings combined with the ski. I think it's uh, definitely um, something that's a must. So, so you, your first introduction to schema racing or was the Tuesday night series, our Tuesday night series in 2016 at Bolton Valley. And at that time you were showing up on your three pin setup and kicking everybody's butt. <laughs> the same three pin setup that is sitting right behind you. I didn't bring mine, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you have it right behind you. Nice. So what was it? I mean, you quickly became engaged. Like since 2016, you've quickly gotten into schema. I mean, you've raced in Europe. You're now, you sit on the, the board of the U.S. Ski Mountaineering Association. So what was it, what was it about schema that really kind of drew you in um, and, and like, how, why did you, what made you get so engaged and involved with it or want to be so involved in it? Mm -hmm. Well, schema is a sport, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a really unique sport in itself. And I've done uh, quite a few endurance sports, but this one is a combination of, you know, the skill of downhill skiing, the, the skill of the cross country and the uphill, and then also the technical pieces of the transitions and, and, uh, other ways of travel when the, when the skis are actually not necessary on your feet. So, 
you know, there's the race tactics and, and there's some of the technical uh, pieces of the racing. So it's a, it's a well-round combination. You don't have to be the fastest on the uphill uh, and you don't have to be the fastest on the downhill. Um, so you can still excel with, with, a, with a skill set that's kind of a combination of, of all those. Um, so I thought that was neat because it wasn't like, okay, well, I can't do it because I'm not strong in this and that's it. It wasn't just one sided piece of it. So that was one. Two, it, it's, it's incredible demanding. And, and I guess I love that part of it that I really feel like I'm doing something um, when, I'm, when I'm doing this sport and I, and I train and I try to replicate a race, but that's like impossible to do. Because um, once you get out there and you start doing it, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, also the group of people that are involved in this because they're all, they all love backcountry skiing, uh, but they, they're kind of like me. They like to go up a couple of times. They don't want to just do it once or twice. And that kind of drew me with, with, uh, into that atmosphere of those people. And the sport itself is fairly young in America. And I, I, I feel like there's so much potential uh, when it comes to the different geographic locations and all the athletes that, that we're still missing in this sport. The sport is, just became recognized um, in the Youth Olympics in uh, Switzerland in 2020. So the youth had their first Olympic show um, and we are working as an organization hard on, on making uh, schema an Olympic sport in the 2026 Olympics in uh, Cortina in Italy. Um, so I, so twofold, I love the sport itself and what it does and how hard it is and all it combines. I love the people in it. And I also, the sport itself has a potential and it's new and I feel like I can make an impact um, to take the sport to the level in the United States. Uh, where it really deserves to be for what it is and and how much how much I love it um, and the group of people that I'm connected uh, loves it and I think that we have so many great talented athletes that may not even know about schemo and and once they discover it they would be like me just absolutely obsessed with it um, only if they knew that it is really not you don't have to be a great downhill skier you want to be good downhill skier but there's so much more to it or you don't have to be fast uphill you don't have to be fast your transitions the fastest it's a combination of all nice <clears throat> that's great um yeah I, I definitely think it's like such a unique sport because um it opens the door you're seeing a lot of like trail runners get into into schema racing because they have the engine and then they have to develop you know the, the technical skills um one of the, I feel like Ian Clark is a, somebody we both are, are acquainted with. Uh, he participated as a junior at the world championships a few years ago for the U S and I feel like he's a unique situation too. Like he got to go, he's like Alpine backgrounds, Alpine racing, but he's also has a background in bike racing and that like mm -hmm. that combination of technical skill and engine, like really power, like good cardiovascular ability kind of like worked well for the sport. And like you're saying, it's such a, a young sport. There's a lot of opportunity in it for, you know, people to kind of like get involved and, and have, you know, you know, maybe have a career or something in it. So it's a, yeah, absolutely. And I think the organization too, it's, you know, it's so young and it just recently became a national governing body recognized. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it grew from basically uh, uh, ski mountaineering 10 years ago was run by the Alpine club and um, the American Alpine club. It was part of it back then. Um, and then kind of a couple of enthusiasts out in Colorado said, okay, we're going to, we're going to make this sport official. We're going to create an association, write the bylaws and all that. And that, that happened just recently. 
you know, a couple of years back. And we started back then when I first joined, I mean, we probably had a handful of volunteers and there's up to 40 volunteers right now. The latest project we were working on as, as a team, we were, we were designing a high performance group, which is basically a group open to, to any member of, of the association. And, and uh, it was all about sharing all about, uh, because this year is kind of a weird year. There's no national team. We couldn't hold a national qualifiers. Um, the worlds are happening in Europe. The masters are in France and, um, and uh, the seniors and juniors and youth are in, in Andorra as of now, uh, but nobody can go. So it was really no point of uh, trying to put something together and, and also make it fair uh, for a national qualifier in the US. So we decided to take a little broader approach and design a group of, of people that are like us, just not necessarily the fastest, but they may be fastest to their potential, but they're totally just into the sport and they're super passionate about it and can contribute to others with it, whether it's being connected or presenting about different topics. So we had our first meeting about a week ago and um, it was amazing. I mean, we, the organization only has about 400 members and we had one quarter of those sign up for the, for this program. And they almost all of them showed up for the first meeting, which, which was amazing because 40 of those are the volunteers that actually run the organizations organization. Um, so that's been exciting to, to see the, the response and see the chatter and, and what, what uh, the latest talk is about. And, and they're all interested in, in, in racing and, and uh, how to get faster at their own level, how to become better equipped and how to manage their um, uh, nutrition while racing, short, medium and long races. It's, it's fascinating uh, um, element of the sport. That's awesome. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to, go back a little bit back in 2000 when you when you started coming to our races on tuesday nights the first got into schema you uh you picked up a nickname um and uh do you i, I kind of want to i kind of want to understand i kind of want can you tell me can you tell us or everybody here like what that nickname is and your understanding of how you got that nickname well um it wasn't it wasn't my choice to to, <laughs> to create the nickname you know it was it was it was probably one of my friends in one of the ski shops that i that i would come and visit uh, often um um created this uh, uh nickname of denim ghost um because i would always whenever i would be uh skinning up the mountain early in the morning or i'd be out in the backcountry or uh, in Nebraska, or I'd be coming up to the Kahneman races, I'd, I'd be wearing my uh, jeans. They're, they were fleece-lined jeans, by the way. Um, I don't think they had flannel at that point. I think it was, it was the better ones. And um, I, I just love um, wearing jeans. They were just the most comfortable, and I just put them on. And then, you know, in my previous job, I never really got to wear jeans. Um, it's hard to wear jeans at work in many, probably, roles or many jobs. So, I thought, what a great opportunity to, to actually wear jeans. And, and really, um, the other reason for that was, and it kind of evolved into this nickname, when I was at the mountain, I was out there early in the morning or you know, in, in the hours, and there was not a whole lot of people there. I love the social aspect of, of uh, uphill skiing. So I wanted people to know that it was Milan because he was wearing jeans. So I wanted him to actually stop and like say hello and you know, how are you doing and kind of converse a bit because like when people are going up and down, like you can't hardly tell who they are because back then we didn't really wear helmets, but everybody has a hat on and get a helmet and just kind of go by. And then you realize, oh, unless you can recognize their movement, you don't know who they are. So the whole gene thing was, was part of that was, was I wanted to know for people to say hello. Um, 
Well, it's funny. My, my recollection of that first year was like, we would stand around like after the races or, or before the next, you know, the next race, we'd be like, who is, who was that guy that was on? He was like, he passed me in the dark. Like what's going on? I think he had jeans on and a three pin setup. what's happening. And like, I, I feel like that first year, a lot of people like noticed you, but like you, I don't know if you didn't hang around at that. I can't remember. No. Didn't no, hang around at the end of the day. So like it was late at night. So maybe you finished the race and got out of there. And we we're like, where is, who, I thought I saw someone in jeans, but he's not here now. Like, <laughs> my, like my recollection is that's how you got like the denim ghost. Yeah. Came I would show up and, and I would disappear. Well, you know, it was, it was all circumstantial. It wasn't really, um, it's funny how <laughs> things like that happen. You know, I really got introduced. It was Tuesday nights. And, and back then I really, my days off were Tuesday and Wednesday. So I couldn't do anything on the weekends and, anything that was sport related or race related it was all happening on weekends this was the first thing i discovered this this citizens thing going on at uh, at bolton um and i could do it i still remember that i was like telling my wife said heidi i'm i'm going to this thing on tuesday it's like okay go so i'd show i'd literally make it there by six o'clock and then and then i would just get out and do my thing and and then i could just scoot home so i'd be home because at that point you know it was kids in the picture um, so then I would just have to go home and I really didn't know anybody and didn't know you guys. And to yeah. me, I just really didn't have time to, to hang around too much. Um, well, so yeah, it was not. My well, I kind of appreciate, I kind of appreciate how much it's, um, it's been incorporated into recent endeavors. Like when you started the mountain, the mountain ops schema team, um, I feel like you're, everybody adopted jeans as part of your race kit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was at the end of that season, um, at the end of that season, that first race season, we had a little, um, uh, end of the season race at Stowe. And, uh, one of the, one of the guys there that, uh, back then I didn't really know his name was John Spinney. Uh, John approached me and said, Hey, you know, let's do something next. Let's, you seem like let's skin together. You seem like you can go up the hill at a, at a good clip and maybe not just once. So let's start, let's start something next year. And then he must have somehow got the sniff of uh, the nickname or me being in jeans or maybe he saw me. My first recollection of John Spinney is, is this guy running up a hill on skis. And I was like, what is he doing? Is that even possible? No, here, I, here I'm sitting here with all the gear and running up the hills every day more than once. But that was funny just looking at him running up the hill. But um, we got together and we thought, okay, let's do something. Let's do something dramatic. Let's do something drastical. Let's do something different. You know, we didn't really want to wear too much spandex and, and the jacket that I'm wearing, I'm, I'm wearing that just to kind of make a point of, of, you know, there's pockets and there's, again, the equipment is just, just so important when it comes to the prop racing, but we, we were okay wearing a top, but uh, we decided to wear jeans and, and I actually have those jeans on the original jeans. So, <laughs> so these, um, these are the original express $40 from, from Burlington mall. And we, uh, we did a little thing in the back. We put a little Dina fit sign over here. And this was a little logo for Moth Knobs ski shop. That still, uh, so when, when we were getting past, people at least look at us and see where we're from. So we the first season, we would go to races and race in our jeans. Um, they are short. They're usually wear a 32 inseam. These are like a 28. So we wanted to make them go above the boot. But we showed up at a first race in, uh, it was in Canada, in, in Mont Tremblant. And uh, we did quite well. It was three of us. It was John Spinney, part of the original team, um, John Wolf, 
and myself. And we showed up and we all finished within the, within the first uh, top five uh, back then in, in our categories. And uh, people are coming up to us and like pulling in our jeans. Like, what are these? Are these, these real or are these fake? And um, they were really interested in our jeans. And, and the DINAFID, the, the Quebec DINAFID rep was up there and, and he couldn't believe it. He was like, they didn't tell me they had jeans. So he had the logo in the back. It was just a funny story. And we did end up racing the whole season um, in those jeans. And they became kind of like, here's these guys showing up in these jeans. Because at that point, uh, the places we were going to race, everybody was wearing spandex, like serious spandex and carbon boots. So yeah. that was our beginning uh, in that time. And well, I feel, like it did, I feel like it didn't hurt that you guys were also performing really well as well at the same time. I mean, yes. it wasn't just that you guys were in jeans. It was that you guys were in jeans and uh, winning races. We, so. we, were, we were doing well. And I, I still remember that. Actually, you were there. You were there with Karaman at that. You had a booth up there. It was the very first time that we met up there. And and uh, we, we just wanted to do something different. We wanted to show people that you don't have to wear spandex or have all these fancy clothes. You can, you can just be in jeans and you'll still be okay. You'll still do well. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> so, um, can we talk about the mountain? Like, I guess there's quite a bit to unpack here in the sense that like you, cause you started off coming to the Bolton races. Um, you quickly, like with the next season, you had started the mountain ops team and had gotten involved and started getting involved with like the Northeast Rando race series. And yeah. how did you get, I mean, like, so how that happened pretty quickly, how did you get involved with us the united us ski mountaineering association like when did you connect with them and how did you first get involved uh with their activities so so our team started as a team of three and our first season i think was 2017 and and then it quickly evolved in 18 we grew to five and we currently have 10 uh, of us on the team and and we would start traveling outside of uh the area of the northern vermont uh, we we uh, got to know uh through a race at jade peak uh, JP and Burke had some pretty high level races, people from Canada and people from down south from Massachusetts and, and uh, New Hampshire. And, and we got to know them. And uh, really the organizer of the uh, Northeast Rando series is somebody that's been quite involved in the scene um, on the East Coast for the last 13 years. His name is Jonathan Chess. And, and he got us sort of introduced to uh, uh, another couple of racers. And we knew they were involved in the uh, USSMA and I um, um, kept tabs on what was happening in the association, reading articles and things like that. And at that point, uh, the, the organization was, uh, try, was trying to become the national governing body and, and they needed to form different committees and, and um, I get the representatives from all over and that's where I got involved. I actually became uh, uh, quite involved with the uh, athlete advisory committee. Uh, I was voted on um, by the members and the athletes uh, from all over. And to me, that was, that was like the biggest honor. I, I had no idea. I've been racing for a year and all these people voted for me and I actually ended up being a chair and I'm a chair of that to this day. So I thought, Hmm, this, this is, this is neat. I, I think I can really, um, make some impact, um, not just on the East Coast, but on the sport itself uh, across the across the nation. Because I was at that time, I was learning that it was a new sport, and that's really how I got into it. I became a chair of the AAC, and then um, one thing led to another, and now I'm quite involved with the board, and I'm involved with the uh, sports performance committee, and um, I travel with the team a couple of years back, 
uh, last year I got to go myself to the the worlds at uh, in Innsbruck. Uh, uh, and, I, and for, so yeah, getting involved with the US the USSMA that that opened the door to racing. And did you get to you got to actually participate in racing in Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. Last year um, I got to go to the uh, uh, winter. Uh, mass, uh, World Winter Masters Games uh, out in Innsbruck, which was the first year of the unofficial um, World Masters uh, Championships. Uh, the ISMF, which is the International Ski Mountaineering Association, um, is trying to grow the participation in the sport. And because this is one of those sports where you can actually be quite good at it at, at, a, at a higher age group, um, because you only get better as not necessarily faster in a short short races, but you become better because there's all these elements of the sport. So they thought to grow the sport, you know, we should get the master's category involved. And Europe master starts at 35 years old, which is really not that old for a sport like this. Um, so that uh, last year they had a first trial of, of trying to put something together from people from all over the world. And they organized it in Innsbruck. It was part of these winter games. And uh, I got to go with the U S team. Um, and it was, it was just a phenomenal experience, you know, seeing the Europeans race, um, I only had that kind of experience two years ago when I went with the U.S. national team to the world championships uh, in Switzerland. Um, that's where I kind of got a taste of what it was like in Europe. And then, uh, yeah, last year was my first really big time racing um, in Europe in Innsbruck. And it was you know close to my home. I took the train from my house, um, <laughs> about a four hour train ride, which is phenomenal. I got on a train in my hometown and and uh, met with the team in Innsbruck. They were all coming back actually from, from uh, Switzerland, from, from Lausanne, from the Junior Olympics. So that was kind of exciting to hear as well, how that went. Um, and then um, my plan was to go to race in a Pyramenta, uh, which is a, one of the most prestigious uh, races out in Europe. It's a team's race, it's a stage race. It's kind of like the Tour de France in, in schema racing. Um, there's an organization that runs these big time races like the PDG and Pyramenta and the Zalama. They're, they're very, very long tradition and history of back then randonnée racing. So that was my plan before things changed. Um, <laughs> but yes, I was fortunate enough to, to have those opportunities. So what, how would you, how would you characterize or how, what, what's different about how is racing in Europe different than racing in the U S like. I know you have more, most of your experiences here on the East Coast, but you have had some experience out West and then now yeah. you're European. Like how, did, how, did yeah. those, how does like Western schema racing versus Eastern schema racing versus Europe? Uh, what's so that? I had a chance to race out West. I, I participated with a partner uh, one year, 2017 was the year we did the Grand Traverse. Um, that was a phenomenal experience. And I, and, I, and I would say that was more like a European race experience um even though it wasn't much of an up and down it was more of a point a to point b it was truly a traverse because over some 40 miles we only climb about nine thousand feet uh, which is very little um in in quite a few hours um but i a lot 2019 i was able to go to the national championships out in eldora and and uh, did the uh, u.s national championships there um it's more technical when it comes to the East Coast versus West Coast. Uh, they have an opportunity because of the open terrain to do a little bit more out on places that, that are not necessarily something that you would ski down on, but you can climb on. So a lot of kick turns and uh, technical skinning, single track, maybe two tracks next to each other, 
not a whole lot of polling using poles. Here on the East Coast, we have pretty firm conditions. So even if you are in the woods, I mean, it gets to a point where the track is just so well traveled that it becomes more of a highway and, and it's still, you know, you can still use your poles, but when it comes to West Coast, there's no poles. And when you go to Europe, it's like, you can't really use your poles at all because it's all in a, in a high terrain. And European racing, um, the difference there is there's a lot, the vertical, um, the percentage of the incline is not as high as it is uh, in the U.S. And, and also, especially on the East Coast. So there's a lot of flattish uh, uh, skinning, which the Europeans just have an incredible ability to glide. And that just, they just take off when it gets anything that's under 10%, they're just like going. Um, they're gliding on skins and going so fast. I know when Ian came back in 2017 from, from Italy, he, he said that he just couldn't believe they looked like they didn't have any skins on. Um, they were just skiing. They're literally skiing up a hill um, because they're used to their, all of their touring and traversing is, you know, going from ridgeline to ridgeline, going from one fondue place to another fondue place. So when it comes to, when it comes to the racing type there, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's long and it's not as traverse. It's not as uh, um, uh, steep. It's, it's a lot of uh, traversing, but I mean, there, there's obviously races where, um, it's quite technical and, and, and like that, but I think that would be probably the biggest difference. They're just so much better and gliding because they, they have the opportunity to, to go. And, and there's times where in Europe, um, you actually are going down a hill with your skins in on a track, um, because you're trying to get to some point and the downhill may be quite long, um, where you actually will lock your boots and you're like, you'll be skiing, but you never really lock your bindings and never take your skins on because at the bottom, you're going to go back up again. Here, that would be considered a transition point that you would actually ski down and, and go put your skins back on and go up. So those are probably the biggest uh, differentiations from my experience that I have yeah. seen. So what about the crowds? Are there, how do the crowds in Europe compare, the spectator crowds compared to like the Northeast Rando race series? <laughs> well, that, that's a different yeah, story. I know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, but you know, that's the thing. Uh, people are so accustomed uh, seeing people on skis going from point A to point B and, and also their geographical area, you know, where they live and where their little chalets are and all that, they'll, they'll come out for these races. It's amazing. They'll line the, the skin track in the certain sections where they know it's going to be interesting, whether it's a the bottom or downhill, or they love to watch the transitions as people are coming as fast as they can. And they're trying to get from one uh, set, set of skills going downhill to another set of skills going uphill. Um, you know, they love their bells. Um, I remember <laughs> team carrying those, those things are so heavy. Um, but they also love to move around on skis. So they'll, they'll make it a point where they'll go for their own little tour and, and they know there's a race going on and they'll make a point of stopping uh, somewhere along the way and, uh, and, and cheer you on. And, you know, the races don't, they don't last at times all day. Um, so they, they'll just be there for a little bit, but they're, they're so accustomed to it. It's amazing. The atmosphere that they can, they can create, um, out there. It, it's, yeah, it's way different than here. That's, that's why we, I feel like we have the, uh, uh, the opportunity to, to, to grow that sport here because it's, it, it is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And so, and so Jonathan's been putting on this Northeast Randall race series for quite a while now. And what can you, is there. Do you wish you had access to bigger train or is or do you enjoy going to the Northeast? What, what about the Northeast series is like unique and makes it a worthwhile to get involved? 
So what's neat about the East Coast series, and this could be Jonathan or anybody else's race on, on the East Coast, it's it's really unique to to where it could be the same same resort, same place, same location, but um, a different different terrain, different track, different uh, makeup of, of the routes. Um, Jonathan has ton of experience of racing on the West Coast and the East Coast, and, and he really does a good job designing his routes. Um, and he likes to challenge people. Uh, he likes to really um, uh, make the downhill challenging, and, and he likes to do, you know, 20-some transitions in the race, which is a lot. Um, <laughs> he likes to really make it up. And, and some of the races that I've been out skiing out West, um, his races are actually more challenging, more technical. We don't have the terrain to work with. But he does a really good job um, here, and we just don't have we don't have the weather, we don't have the predictability in that. So you know, we'll be waiting until Thursday to to see what it's really going to be like because it could change from Thursday to a Friday. Um, and I know that the weather is unpredictable anywhere, um, yeah. but I think that our our place is just so so much smaller. We can't just move it to a different location where the snow is a little different. Yeah. The aspect is the aspect, and when it gets hit, it gets hit. So you, so you would say that like the Northeast Rando series, you, you get your value, they're full value races for sure. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say, I'd encourage anybody out there that's watching to ch like Google Northeast Rando race series, any Rando race series. Uh, Cause Jonathan does put on a number of events and they, they're, they're all pretty unique and really, really great. So very, very creative too. And, and, and the places that, that he puts on his races, they're not, they don't have big vert. Um, they don't have big elevation gain like Stowe has 2000. So he works with places that may only have a thousand or 1200 or maybe a 1300 because, because it's all Southern Vermont or it's Northern Massachusetts, the Berkshires. Um, so he, he's very creative with that. And, and you really don't need a whole lot of vert to put on, to put on a good race. Um, you just have to be creative where you put your roots and really know the terrain. Well, and sometimes I think like those, the shorter races with the additional transitions, kind mm -hmm. of like make strategy they put a higher emphasis on strategy and Absolutely. Have, and some of those like you know those certain skills like you know transitioning your uphill your mode transfers and transitions are are that much more important you know because if you're going to have 20 transitions and it takes you a and if you can shave a minute off your transition that's 20 minutes <laughs> that's huge yeah. so, so yeah think of that in in the terms of time i mean it's crazy how that's why i love the aspect um of that of the sport as well is you can really get so technical about these pieces, 20 transitions, and the difference could be at 10 seconds, you know, 10 seconds times 20 transitions. That That's a lot of time. That that could be a difference between you and ending up in the top three versus you ending up in the next group because it seems like the results are always these clusters of two minute times. Um, and same thing with the downhill. I mean, you can have a downhill that's 30 seconds faster than somebody else because the downhills are, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half minutes. But if you can run it 20 seconds faster and there, there is three, four of them, I mean, that, that's a lot of time. Um, I didn't know all this before, but I, I love that part of it that um, you can really manage it that way too. That's great. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I definitely think the, the sport, like the competitive side of schema or schema and arena on the East coast is unique. And like, there is a pretty great community. It's pretty small still right now, but it's great to see it kind of growing and getting engaged and, and like, it's nice to see more and more mountains kind of open to kind of working with uh, the community to kind of like facilitate some of these events and activities. Um, so along those lines, um, what what have you been doing lately? You, earlier you mentioned that you were getting involved with uh, Sunrise Mountain Guides and Bolton Valley and um, and starting kind of an uphill or schema programs with, with those guys. And like, what is, 
what does that kind of look like and what is what are you hoping to accomplish there so yes i um you know when the, when the poll was coming um i was approached by a, a couple of my friends um not from the area to to help them to introduce their their friends other friends and athletes it was a triathlete team um team of triathletes they were looking for an alternative to cross training so i did a little virtual clinic for them and uh what what was supposed to be an hour virtual clinic ended up being and it was planned for eight o'clock on thursday so imagine that that ended up being a two and a half hour session and i couldn't get the people off the phone um or off zoom back then we we still had uh, at like 10 30 there was still people on they were probably yawning at that point but it just it was incredible response to just some of the everyday things that i was talking about um the excitement was 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 just crazy and then i did some follow-ups with some of the people and they said you know Nobody's really teaching that. Nobody's really telling people how to do it. Nobody's really using those those special skills um, that you had shared with us uh, with with anybody. Um, nobody really knows where to get that stuff. When you Google, uh, there's not a whole lot of stuff that will come even on YouTube. Uh, that's in English. There's stuff that will come out in different languages. Um, and there's really no opportunities to to sign up for any classes or clinics like that anywhere. Um, you should really do something like that. And it, it kind of just one thing led to another. And I thought, you know, there is an art to uphill skiing. And I really didn't want to just go off to the spandex and, you know, tell everybody it's okay to wear jeans. I, um, I wanted to more like use the skill set that I have gained through, through the last six years of, of learning myself, the efficiencies and, and the technicality of the sport. And I wanted to share that with, with the, with the broader, audience of people that are interested to go uphill and go uphill and be efficient and learn how to do it without being in pain when they get to the top and not freeze when they're trying to trying to get into their things and switch from one to the other and to go down and maybe when they get down they maybe have an appetite to go up one more time so um i connected with the leadership and adam deloria over at bolton was open to it um and we thought you know what a great way to get people introduced to the sport um, they run a great backcountry program and so does Sunrise, but I thought of this as doing this in a control, controlled environment, doing it up on the hill. You know, you're always 10 minutes from, from help if you needed help. And, and it's really easy to learn to skin when you're in, in, in an environment like that. And even people that know how to skin, you know, there's an art to polling and there's an art how you, how you navigate the train and how to use your equipment to its full potential. And I've been having so much fun. Um, it, it's incredible. I, I can't believe I actually get to get to ski for a living now, even though it's not much of a living yet, but hopefully it will evolve into something. I can't wait to get juniors started. I have my, all of my kids skinning. Um, and, you know, when you just show people how to, how to pull the proper way. So, so their hands are not cramping when they get to the top or, or how to even just like people have never even seen skins and they, at the end of the session, they can take the skins off without taking their skis off and not pull over. It's, it's fascinating what, what the grin that I get on the face, on their faces and people that never thought would like it because it just looks so hard and strenuous and it's just people, you know, when they see others doing it, they, they're like exhausted and, and in pain and that's not something they're interested in. But then they try, they're like, oh, this is actually not that bad. This actually is, is fun. I can do this. And, and also you don't need a whole lot of time to do it. You know, you can do a quick session 
of uphill skiing if you're doing it um, proper way and you can get a phenomenal workout with not a whole lot of time commitment. So I thought all those elements and there's a lot of people, especially this year, they want to try it, but they're intimidated. They're intimidated by the equipment. They're intimidated by their friends to be left behind. They're intimidated even just how to put their boots into the toe, right? I mean, that's like the most special <laughs> part. It was for me when I first started doing it. It was ridiculous. I was trying to get in and we just wouldn't, wouldn't go in. Um, so you, you just showed them, you know, little tricks here and there. And you can see the light goes on. It's like, wow, this has potential. I can actually like, I can ski a little bit more over here, a little bit more over here when I become more confident. So it's all just kind of combining that skill set that I've gone and I was shared at one point and, and uh, offering it to people. And so who are, who are the people that you're targeting? I mean, and would you make, and is this, or would you make a distinction between schema and uphilling? Like, are those, are those two separate things, you know, schema being competitive and. So schema and uphilling, there's a lot of crossover, right? Sure. Um, so you start with uphilling and you can use schema elements in it. Uh, once you get to the equipment piece of it, where schema really uh, distinguishes itself is, is the equipment because it's more efficient, it's faster, it's less of it. You can get into the uphill, then you get into the fitness piece of it, and then you can transition into competitive piece. But I, th I feel like there's just so much crossover here. People get into the fitness, and they may be interested in doing the uphill skiing because of fitness. They are not quite interested in the racing yet. Maybe some youth programs later on and, and things like that, or, or some cross-country skiers and alpine skiers, but um, there's just so much crossover that can happen. Um, the, the people that I have introduced uphill skiing were just people that were looking for, like, I had a, I had a client um, that just was getting too cold riding the lifts and never really always heard about the uphilling and never really got into it and just loves to trail run, loves to uh, a bike. And in the winter loves to ski with the kids, but just gets too cold. So um, at that point, you know, we went out and tried this and a lot of the elements, I had to kind of adjust my equipment at that point because they weren't necessarily on the ultralight stuff. But uh, there's still a lot of things that cross over that um, you, you can you can really benefit from. So it sounds like it sounds like with these endeavors at Bolton and with uh, uh, Sunrise Mountain Guides, you're kind of focusing on, you know, maybe backcountry skiers that want to be more efficient so that they can have more energy or more gas in the tank when it comes time to go downhill or so they can do, you know, get an extra lapse or extra vertical they can spend more time out there and have more fun but you're also looking at people that are maybe not necessarily interested in backcountry skiing but are looking for a fit like a way to the, some sort of fitness oriented activity to do um mm -hmm. that might not be running or biking or something like that but they're not necessarily you know they're yeah skiers, but they're looking for to like improve their fitness or maintain their fitness yeah but, and also and you know also people that necessarily don't care about the skiing down like they're not really that good of a skier. Maybe they just, they can get down. That's great. But it's not, about, <laughs> it's not about that, um, them skiing down. It's, you know, when you talk about backcountry skiing and being, they, they like the, the, the downhill piece of it too, and they appreciate it. Uh, but, you know, this group over here is more about the uphill. You know, it's like they'll drive a half hour to skin for an hour to ski five minutes to drive back for a half hour. You know, that five minutes, that's insignificant to them. And they really... Don't care about the five minutes. They want to just get that over and get down and be safe. And my, my very first sessions I had, it was a triathlete. And, and he's like, I really, I'm okay downhill. I hope I don't get hurt. Uh, but I, I want to do this as a, as a cross training. So, I mean, he was as sweaty on the down as he was on the up. But, you know, it was, he didn't have to be a 
uh, great skier because we were all in a controlled environment. If I sent him in the woods, there would have been a different story. But to be on 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 the resort and and Bolton Bolton's great because they have a daytime up the route and one of them is a little steeper than the other and you can bail out any time and you can just do partial laps or full laps and that's kind of what where the idea came from was focusing more on the people that may not be as good of a downhill skier but really want to take advantage of of this kind of exercise because if they go downhill skiing they're just not good enough they get cold or they just don't enjoy it as much nice so so along these lines like so what does the future hold for milan like what do you what are you hoping it sounds like you're you're stay-at-home dad and you're doing these you're kind of building these kind of like programs at Bolton and Sunrise Mountain Guide. So where do you, what do you hope to be in two years? Where do you hope to be? What do you hope to be happening for you? I, I, I think there's just tremendous potential for, for schema, especially on the East Coast, given the population we have. You know, we have so many athletes here and, and to, to have a junior program and have a follow-up program and maybe eventually grow that into a year-round program because you can, a lot of your training happens in the summer and dryland training. It would be it would be my dream to have a program that runs year round, and there's a feeder program, and it's really just introducing people to that lifestyle that 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 uh, schema and, and backcountry skiing has, has brought to me, and it could be is something that starts as an uphill program, and you know kids kids nowadays um, they tend to like to jump off of things and go straight down. It would be awesome to introduce them to to this kind of travel on skis with earning their turns and then some of them would maybe venture off over here on, on this side so juniors for sure but also the general public you know um you already we already see what's happening um when people show up at the hill in masses nowadays but getting even more people to it um and enjoying it at a level where they feel like wow i'm actually getting better at this um you know when they go up in the first of the season and they go up at the end of the season, you know, seeing a difference um, or being on, you know, it's not, it's not easy skinning on the soft snow that we had recently and, and to learn on, on how to balance yourself and how to engage your skins and boots and the bindings uh, when you're climbing and some of that stop, soft sugary stuff, um, you really learn it. You're like, wow, I really don't need to use the pulse. That to me, those, those lights and those grins that people that come back their face it's phenomenal and you know bolton and, and the stowe area range camp is such a magical places and taking them out there and connecting them with the history and the mythical places um that, that that's a huge part of it so i i'd love to have a, a program that's kind of a feeder to all these adventures and uh i know just just helping people to enjoy the outdoors in a safe confident and efficient way Awesome. Well, we wish you luck with that. So if people, if somebody wanted to connect with you, <clears throat> either to like, you know, hire you to t- for a session or get engaged or like, you know, for any reason to kind of like learn more, or start a program, like how would they, how would they get in touch with you? I think the, I think the best way uh, to get in touch with me personally would be through Sunrise Mountain Guides or Bolton Valley. Okay. Um, I have a program that I have set up in collaboration with them and any of the requests that go, uh, they go directly to me. Um, there's a page on Sunrise Mountain Guides on their website. And there's also a page part of the backcountry programming at okay. Bolton. Um, so both, both Bolton and Sunrise have information online yep. related to, great. Yep. And also if there's, you know, the USSMA is still part of, even though that's not really a, a job and that's not really 
kind of a thing that you would do as, as, as looking for the future, but that's definitely a big part of it too. So if anybody wants to get involved, they don't have to be a racer to get involved to use some They may have an experience in marketing or fundraising or, you know, any, any kind of expertise that we could use somebody that's passionate enough uphill skiing or backcountry skiing, you know, definitely the more talent we have, um, that's definitely an organization. You know, if we can get the sport to 2026 Olympics, it'd be, uh, that would be a success right there. Um, and then from there, it just, the whole sport blows up because the fundraising changes at that point and the funds come and then you can do more things and really grow it from there. So that would be beside my personal piece of it. I, I, if, if I, <laughs> corporate sure. part of it, that would be definitely it too. For sure. Well, we'll I'll make sure to add links to the Sunrise Mountain Guide page, uh, Bolton Valley and to the USSMA uh, in the description of the, in this video on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, once it goes live. And uh, I don't know, do you have anything else you want to say? I think we're kind of like running out of our, running up on our time here. Um, yeah. Yes. Thank you, Greg, for having me. And, you know, I want to, I want to thank Kate uh, from the Mountain Road Outfitters who uh, provided this beautiful uh, studio for me. And uh, she helps the team with uh, gear um, every year with our race suits and jackets and shorts and enough it helps us uh, with um, the technical gear of it and camp not a great company um, to look at some of the lightweight very efficient uh, backpacks and helmets and and um, skins they do a really good job there and they have a they have really helped us to get uh, some of this very specific gear so uh, thank you to our partners as well well, I want to thank you too, just because, I mean, we're not running our Tuesday night series this year, but um, it's been great to see you guys when like, as you organized the Mountain Ops team and like brought those people in that created like this really great energy at the event. Um, and like, you know, it's one of those events where you don't have to show up in spandex. Some people do, some people don't. And it's a, it's just a really good, uh, it's a real, it's a really fun time. And we really enjoy putting on that series. And it's great. And I feel like you've been responsible for bringing a lot of people to that. And, you know, I appreciate the effort that you're putting in and how you're, you've been engaged with the community and everything, all the energy and time and effort you've kind of brought to the sport. Um, it's been, I, I definitely think you're one of the more influential people in that community in the Northeast. And I, I just appreciate all the effort, all, everything that you do for the sport. Thank you. Um, you know, yeah. I have to not to forget one person, um, <laughs> really group of people, that's my family and my wife, Heidi, who supported me through this. It is not easy when I get up at 3.30 in the morning and she looks at the clock and says, are you serious? There's times where the clock says 2.45 when I have to go get my training done. So be, to, be, to be home by 5.30, 6 o'clock to get the kids ready for school. So that she definitely deserves the big thanks. And I know it's annoying at times, many times, Heidi, if you're watching this, but I really appreciate it because it gives me an opportunity to pursue a passion and to make a difference to other people's lives uh, in a way that uh, this sport has made a difference in my life. Well, yeah, congratulations uh, and thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, well, I think that's it, guys. Um, so this concludes episode three of Catamount Trail Chatter. Um, definitely check back. We're going to be doing, we're going to be sitting down with the Vermont Huts Association next week for episode four to learn more about them. Um, and again, uh, we'll, I'll share some additional information about Milan and how you can get in touch with him. Uh, if you want to learn more about Uphelian and Schema or the U.S. Ski Mountaineering Association in the description below. Uh, and have a good night, everybody. Great. Thank you. All right. We are done.